one for me chicos Final voice in the band I'm low on resistance So please keep your distance I'm drawing a line in the sand And don't mess around with my border For you no sorrow and pain I have a nervous disorder And I'm bordering on the insane Hello beautiful people In June 2020 Renowned composer, lyricist, and friend of the show Douglas J. Cohen emailed me To set up an interview with him and Douglas Carter Bean About a new musical they had presented A concert reading of in January of 2020 At the McCarter Theatre Center Called The Big Time Starring Santino Fontana, Debbie Gravitt Jackie Hoffman, and others There was talk at the time that the recording of that concert Would be released And Doug wanted he and Doug to promote it on the original cast Well, that release didn't happen Instead, now, three years later Concord Theatricals has released a studio recording with much of that cast and it is out now so in celebration of this glorious event i present to you that very conversation of three years ago with myself doug cohen and douglas carter bean about the musical the big time one quick note this was recorded in june 2020 before we were all pros at zoom and zoom recordings so the quality is a little bit lower than maybe you're used to on this podcast and i apologize for that uh i think it was my first multi guest zoom recording ever uh and i will just say i have gotten much better at it in the last three years there's a link to the album in the show notes grab it buy it listen to it it's great doug's great doug is also great i don't know doug as well as i know doug but all our interactions have been great and he of course was a guest on the original cast talking about babes in arms i'll put a link to that in the show notes i'll put a link to doug cohen talking about sondheim a musical celebration in the show notes i'm putting all kinds of links in the show notes you got to go over there so here's doug me and doug in june 2020 talking about the big time Here with uh, with Douglas J. Cohen, who my listeners will be familiar with. Hello, Doug. Hello. And I'm good also to here. Back. Yes, good to have you back. I'm also here with Douglas Carter Bean. Hello. Hello. And uh, I'm here with my the, the two Dougs because uh, their musical, The Big Time. But before we get right into that, uh, Doug Cohen, um, you and I met because I had uh, a guest on our show talking about your musical, No Way to Treat a Lady. And uh, you were very kind to reach out to me after that. And that guest's name was Doug. And I thought that was a funny coincidence. But here I am talking with you, Doug, again, and another Doug, because two Dougs wrote a musical. So I guess the question is, how did uh, how did Doug meet Doug? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm just glad none of our names aren't Karen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, bad time to be named Karen. Bad time to be named Karen. What is Karen Ziemba doing? The poor thing. She's a good Oh, person. my gosh. So just go by K from now on, right? K. So, God, do you, rem- you remember when we met, Doug? It was probably, what, 1984? Yeah, it would have been 84, and it was the ASCAP workshop, correct? ASCAP Musical Theater Workshop, yes. Led and by Charles Strauss. Strauss. It's a great Charles Strauss. Wow. And it was, yeah, and, and there was a woman named Bernice oh. Cohen. Bernice Cohen. And she was our fearless leader, Charles. Yeah. 
stories without partners. It's hilarious. And it was... <laughs> And it was so we start every session holding up an umbrella, saying, yes, did anyone leave last week? <laughs> I know. And it was, it, but it was like, but it was, it was, a, it was all these young writers. And Charles, to his credit, had concocted this idea that he, every week would be there. And you would come in with two songs, and then he would have a guest. Or guests. And no, be that like, guest. Three guests, <laughs> unless it was Sondheim. So if you walked in and you saw one chair, it was like, ho, 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 here we go. <laughs> yeah. Big Steve's in the house. But we had, um, I mean, I had Frank Rich critique. I had Sondheim twice. I wow. had, um, I had, uh, who else did he How many shows there? did you bring up there, Doug? Two. I, you, I think it was Skellers. Two. Was it Skittles? God, Skellers? wow, that's good. That's good. And then he was, I was, my writing part of the time was Ellen Walter. And you are and you were by yourself. You were a writer without yeah, a partner. <laughs> I remember. I remember you came in with a song for "No Way to Treat a Lady," and I was ever in the room. There was like that silence, that silence of a room full of young writers. That is, oh my god, that's good. Oh my god, I hate his guts. <laughs> <laughs> and who was who? Do you remember who was who critiqued it? Was it Big Ass or was it Marvin Hamlish or who was who critiqued it? No, the, the, the first round. Well, I was first of all, I was in there with another show called Demi Task, which went absolutely nowhere, and that bombed. So I just want you to know, it wasn't always. You know, sweetness <laughs> and roses and all those things. So uh, the first time it was uh, Charles, of course, and yes. Stephen Schwartz, Clinton oh. Lane, and oh. Frank Rich. Yes, and he loved it. He loved it, and he said, "Tell uh, William Goldman that you got." Oh, Charles Strauss said, "Tell William Goldman that you got a good review." from the New York Times, because Frank Rich was yes. standing there. <laughs> and uh, and William Goldman was in the house. No one knew that, but that was very cool. Really? Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me and that. that uh, and it was, but that was, that was a magical moment. And then also in the group was, first time together, Steve Flaherty and Lynn Aaron. And I remember no, the song. No, no, actually not. Steve he was, was by there himself. alone. But the first yes. time they were together was in that, was in that room, and they played a well, song called... Uh, song called close but no cigar and they ne it was to a musical version of the film bedazzled and they never got the rights they could not yeah. get the rights oh, man. but that they got an agent they got their agent out of and that the, and i'm telling you that was a that's a very good score that was a beautiful score oh it's a wonderful score did i tell you my lynn aaron steve flaherty story is it now is it good is it going to be compelling <laughs> I think it's. I think it's kind of compelling. This is this is going out into the world. Right. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I kind of like this story. Is this better anyway. than your patent story? It's not. It's, oh, it's not so Doug, much interesting Doug. as long. But go ahead. <laughs> Doug and I did another interview, and no, no, no. You need to elaborate. Just go tell your new story. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, I'm in BMI Musical Theater Workshop, which is the other musical theater workshop. I didn't and uh, I started, it's a it's a two-year plus, plus, plus program if you get invited back, right? So um, the first two years, I started with Lynn and Steve. And at the end of the first year, uh, we're allowed to work with anyone of our choosing. So we had been assigned up until that point. And everyone wanted to work with Lynn. Every time she was paired with someone, it was a brilliant collaboration. So I, we got the assignment that, that for the last song, you're allowed to work with anyone you want. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to go to Lynn and I'm going to ask her. And I 
as soon as the bell rang or whatever rang, they convened, I ran over to her and said, Lynn, would you like to do a song together? And she said, oh, I would, but I just said yes to Steve Flaherty. <laughs> and they did their song and it was brilliant yeah. I keep thinking if I'd gotten there one second sooner <laughs> I would have written Ragtime <laughs> world's, world's worst world's worst J-Date right there <laughs> there was and then also in the group was uh, also in the group was Jonathan Larson yes he was also there oh wow and and it was it was a, it was a really remarkable time because it was this group that was being trained for a medium that at that point was dead mm-hmm. there were no new american musicals on broadway it was that british yeah the british invasion pardon, i'm going to say yeah. the word schlocky but i mean it yeah. schlocky invasion of like you know at one point like people just said you know well gosh maybe i'll write wind in the willows one day <laughs> you know there was nothing. <laughs> It was acres of nothing, and we were all being trained. And then there was the explosion, and we all worked quite mm-hmm. wonderfully along <clears throat> along the way. But that was that. It was a. It was 1984, and it was you thought there would you would walk through Broadway. To, I would walk through Broadway to get to the ASCAP offices, and there would be no shows on Broadway, mm-hmm. nothing. And yeah. I just thought, I, I thought, well, at least I, I, perhaps I should have just chosen opera. Because then I know my medium was dead. Do I have to do? Do I have to go to the one that's dying? And now to see this—I mean, gorgeous explosion of of young writers who want to do musicals and people who who don't write musicals but are musical writers wanting to do musicals again. It's a very exciting time. I, I think about that a lot in the in the sense of you know you're training for a future that maybe doesn't exist or doesn't exist or a past that that has already passed us by. I always think of the great vaudeville performers who got their break the day after the jazz singer opened, you know, and you just think, oh, well, yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's just the timing of it is, is just everything. So it's, I think it's important. The, the thing I take from that story anyway is that you have to keep, keep plugging <laughs> forward because if you love it and if you're working at it really hard, you know, it may not be going right now while you're training, no. but you'll be ready when it comes You never out. know. You never know. know. And, and, and it's, it's amazing that the big time, the show that we worked on mm-hmm. was – I was writing as a movie musical for Miramax, and they were terrified of the of it being a musical. Mm-hmm. That I actually started writing this story as I said, this will be a fun movie, and it'll be a movie musical, and instead it'll be a parody of violent movies. It is a it's a parody of, of a film called Under Siege. I don't know if you remember that. Movie yes, I absolutely ago. do. Yes. Oh my God! That you do. Oh yeah. I love you all the more. Oh, I the, the, the two things I thought of watching, watch, uh, uh, listening to this were uh, Under Siege and um, Speed Two, which also takes place oh, on wow. a boat. Speed Two, yeah. electric boogaloo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not the original Speed. No, no, because Speed, Speed Two, <laughs> Speed Two Cruise Control takes place on a boat. I don't remember and, why, okay. but it, it, it takes and place as we on know, a boat. And as we know, Speed Two answers the questions raised by Speed One. It does. It does. That um, movie left us with a lot of unanswered questions, and, and they were all answered. The big one being: Is Jason Patrick three? more compelling than Keanu Reeves? And the answer was no. When you but. no, when you die, you get to see Speed Three. Yo, so that, because that has all the answers. That has all the answers. But it was, but it was, it was this film, and it was being uh, directed by P.J. Hogan, who had just directed Muriel Sweating. Oh wow! Yeah. And it was, and the and the producer was Oliver Stone, and the it was a Miramax with, and it was really full speed ahead. And that came that inevitable meeting when they said, um, why don't we just have, can we just have them instead of, because the, the basic premise of this musical 
is that a cruise ship is taken over in this original version by terrorists and it came down to the lounge singers um, mm-hmm. to save the day by teaching the terrorists how to give put down their weapons and sing and dance and do comedy. That they have a love-hate relationship with Western entertainment. As they do, right. as, as, yeah. as, as everyone does. So that was the basic premise. And from that, and, and then they just kept, well, instead of, can the Steve Lawrence character be a retired Navy SEAL? and i just was like i see where this is going and there will be blood splattered on a wall yeah as soon as as my middle name is carter yeah i just and i said i get where this is going right and i did a very you know big boy move and i said i'm taking this back and i'm going to go find a place that will understand it and then I was thinking of it as a musical, and then I remembered that I, I had not only seen um, this No Way to Treat a Lady, but I also had seen, you did a, a concert version of the gig somewhere. I don't know where I saw that. I'm always doing concert versions of the gig. He's doing one right now. Turn world. around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm probably, unfortunately... Pulling you from a walk of world right, right now. With the that that one's an intermission. Right. <laughs> that would be. And uh, yeah. it was, but I had seen it and I just was knocked out by the score. And I was just trying to work. And I had my own theater company called Drama Department, which was a great, wonderful part of my life. And I wanted to do a, this, turn this into a stage musical. And <clears throat> we went to Doug and he. I don't remember. I, I gave you the script. I, it wasn't a script. I think I gave you the screenplay, didn't I? Uh, I don't think I had a script. I, I, I thought it was, it was a, a script. I thought it was. It was a stage yeah. version. I actually did that at, at the um, at the, uh, the the Sundance Musical Theater or director, whatever that thing they do out in the in Utah. The director's lab. Mm-hmm. The, well, it wasn't a director's lab back then. It was a writer's lab. Oh, okay. That's how I'm so old. I'm so old they were honoring the writers. <laughs> that's, that's when... Back that's when movies when, used to have writers. That's where, that's that's where you where came that, from. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, Scott Fitzgerald, sure. But, right. this was, but this was for stage. It was a stage, and it was being mm-hmm. run by Jerry Patch, who has always been a loyal fan of the show. And it was... I, did, I was working on one show, and it was done. I had finished it, and I had a week to go, and I had a presentation coming up. So the, the Mark Rucker was the, the one who since passed on was the director, and I just said, "Let's." I took the screenplay and I re- literally sat with scissors, pacing it together into a script. This is before computers so much; I just did everything with scissors and tape. But <laughs> and, and, and a butter churn, I think, was also <laughs> is that where the words <laughs> "cut and paste" come about. Right? Because that's cut and paste. It is cut and paste. Yeah, used to do. Yeah. Yeah. The original cut and paste. And I believe there was something used called whiteout, yes. which was not yes. a racial term. It was no, no it was just <laughs> liquid like paper. Like Nesmith's mother. Yeah. It was yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and so we, we put it together and we read it. And in that reading was a young writer named Daniel Goldfarb. He played a, he played a, a big apple. And we just had a, and it was fun. And it just hit. It just was one of mm-hmm. like, it just, after it was a, it was a summer full of like, you know, Lots of musicals taking place in front of a brick wall where they mentioned, you know, Vietnam or something, and, sure. or a disease that couldn't be cured. It was sad, sad, sad. And suddenly it comes up like, you know, you know, 
let's take show tunes and and it was very meaningful to people and they love it and then i i gave that script which was very rough to uh doug and mr magic mr melody took over. <laughs> so when when was this this oh, was i think the final conestoga wagon had finally reached out. right okay <laughs> In the days of the Cimarron, this is when you're uh, right here. It would have been, I would have like 94, 95, 96. I remember you gave me the script and I took it with me to visit my folks in Florida. Where else do you visit your folks, right? Right. Florida. And and then nothing really happened for about a year. You Mm -hmm. you asked me what I thought. I said I loved it. And then we just kind of waited because you had a lot of things going on. I had oh, less things going on. I, I had a couple more concerts at the gig. Right. But, <laughs> you but then, had it been, been performed by puppets yet? Yeah. But not done your gig. <laughs> Kukla, Fran, and Ollie do the gig. And right. it's, it's on my bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I, I was writing a lot, and, and they were thinking. As bees and honey drought happened. No, no, not yes, that. Yes, it happened. did. Yeah, that it was, it was like a lot of like I was suddenly getting you know, and you got hot. Yeah, up, up, now it's down to a very slow simmer. <laughs> it's boiling. I feel it I, boiling. I prefer to refer to my career as a pre-corona freefall. Oh, uh, you, were, you were in freefall so, before it was popular. That's good. I was, I yeah. was, I was quarantined before anyone asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, you know, I, but I, but I, I, um, I finally got back to it and said, "Let's do this." And we, and I said, "I think you said let me write some numbers." And I, do, I remember there was like you did it very quickly, and there were like there were two or three numbers, and they just were like. It was sort of like it wasn't like here's a here's a song. It's like I've here's a song I wrote. It was sort of like here's this song from the show you don't know yet. Does mm. that make sense? It just mm-hmm. felt like there was a show there. It was happening, and if I didn't mess it up, it would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. Um, that's you. I mean, that's writing at its best, isn't it? Is when you sort of feel like you're discovering the show as you're going. Instead but, of but the best compliment I ever get, yeah. I ever get is like is people say to me, "Come on, you." You give some of those lyrics to Doug Collin. You give him some of those ideas. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's actually a functioning human being that does big boy work. Well, like, he's it, it, you did you did give me one. You gave me that. We're having relations and full orchestrations. <laughs> I think you you gave me that. <clears throat> and I forever nice. thank you for that. You guys seem to have very your styles mesh very, very well and, and that compliment uh-huh. really speaks to the, is, the way the book and the lyrics is, flow in and out of each is, other. It is remarkable that, you know, as the old English comics say, <laughs> Doug and I finish each other's sandwiches. Right. I mean, we do, <laughs> we do, it's like, it, and we know, and I'll say just something, when we're talking about something, he said, you know what I love? I love a jazz waltz. And he's like, God. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll go and write this, like, exactly, like, if I, I think if I said to him, I think if I turned to Pascal and Paul and said, I need a jazz waltz, they'd mm-hmm. say, there we go. Or if I said, you know, at one point I said, we're talking about this number. So what can happen? I said, well, we've only got eight actors. I said, why don't we just have, you know, like in those big band movies when the band would sing, mm-hmm. like, and he would say, and he would go with that. And I, and, and he's the same way with me. And he's always like throwing ideas at me. Like, could this happen? Could this happen? And now in collaboration with Santino, who's working with it, who's a brilliant, uh, brilliant mm-hmm. uh, talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he comes. He, his idea is like, my, as as now as working with him as a director, my my attitude is, 
if he comes in with an idea, don't say no for 24 hours. Just mm. let it go. Because, like, he came in, he said, what about these glasses? And I looked, and they were, like, the most ugly Mel Torme glasses I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was about to say no, and I just went, oh, my God. That's why Tony isn't, that's why they aren't successful. <laughs> because he's got these glasses. Like, and it just, like, and it's all, and he's, like, and he, but it just changed his whole performance. It was but Tony thinks they're cool. That's what right. Tony thinks wonderful he's, about it. Yeah, it does. That's what all those, all he those thinks he's him. It speaks to that. Yeah, the, the, the character himself thinks he's on his on the rise and, and just missing the mark constantly. <laughs> and right. that's a great... So, Great example. So that's, that. that's yeah. how, so that's how we've been working together, and it's it is remarkable because this the show went away for a long time and out of my life, mm-hmm. and it was always one of those things that occasionally it probably happens with Doug too. Is where where now, where is Stephen Eadie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> People would yeah. see, see these different readings. The reason we say Stephen Eadie is because. The, the idea is that these lounge singers are named Tony and Donna Stephen Eadie, right? And they are mistaken for Stephen E.D. by a uh, booking agent who's over who's overbooked, who's, right. who's overwhelmed by everything, and that is so they're second rate. And and I've always so that's how it that's sort of how it always began. It was like, it was this kind of crazy premise, and we always have believed in it. And and no one people would come up and ask about it, and I would sort of go, well, that was killed because of, it was terrorists and terrorism that actually happened in the country. So right. it was about to be produced. So it was over. And then I got it into, I was in London and I was walking through the West end and suddenly it just hit me. I was like, Russia and the cold war is like what it wants to be. And we'd always had fake Russian accents with the, with the terrorists. So it had an echo of, of silk stockings or the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming or any mm-hmm. of those kind of things. And then I, I called Doug and from a very expensive phone call. Across <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the last of your film money, right? There you go. Right. That was, it, it had dribbled out. It he dribbled, dialed 10, 10, 2, 20 and got Doug Cohen on the right. other side. It was right. my two on food check. I spent it on that call. But it was, it was, and he kind of went with it. And then, uh, it was, it was shocking how little we had to change. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, for me, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I maybe, you know, made something a 16th note. It was very, yeah. Well, actually, no. Actually, no. It was not something very interesting that happened. When I first wrote for the big time and the two songs that I played for Doug, one was the medley that starts the show mm-hmm. of other people's hits. Right. And then there was a song called I Could Get Used to That. That was Donna's I Want song. Yeah. And that song had been in the show at the very beginning, and then somehow it got relegated to a less, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, important yeah. area of a charm song with Tony later in the show. So she lost her I Want song. Mm-hmm. And for this version, we brought it back, and I had to rewrite it. And that was very satisfying to actually feel like it took its rightful place, mm-hmm. and she suddenly had a real trajectory again. A second-rate joke. The second-hand smoke, the sound of an act falling flat. The backroom casinos, the would-be dinos, I'm getting used to that. Playing the slots 
with the haves and have-nots I know this is not where it's at Something more civil With chairs that don't swivel I could get used to that There's a thing about American American musicals is they are so for want of a better hyphenate word they're gut driven they are really it's there's something about the first instinct and there's a ten, mm-hmm. tendency to workshop and reading and do these musicals but there is something so gorgeous about the first instinct in a show and i i'll give you an example like i when i was in london i went to see um there's a big revival of oliver mm-hmm. and uh I'm watching the the actual British version of Oliver, not the Americanized version or anything. And I'm watching it, and it's about there are about four numbers before we get to Where Is Love. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing in a Undertaker's, and they're going. And I watched, looked at the audience, and I could find every American tourist in that room because they were fidgety, mm-hmm. because a character had not expressed their needs. Mm-hmm. All I want is a room somewhere. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Something's coming, something big. You know, just something, give me, give me, give me, give me. Had not, there had not been that number yet. And I, when I went back to it, I said, we've got to get this number in because we need to, we need to fall in love with her and believe that her, 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 her wants are real. And it was a wonderful thing to put it back in. Well, it's it also in your form in this show of it being, you know, not quite musical parody, as in like Drowsy Chaperone, but it is is a you know they're very musical people. It's a very musical musical, and that's part of the point of it. If you don't kick it off that way in a traditional musical yeah. way, it something about the the inside joke would probably be lost a little bit. So it's really good that it's yeah. back in there. And along and along the way, we've we in these other incarnations, we've had a number of different directors working on it, mm-hmm. and they're and they're. Input has been wonderful and gorgeous and yes. terrific. I mean, really amazing stuff. But in in trying to make it accessible for the, that a commercial producer would like, mm-hmm. they have often tried to make it, you know, hip in a way that, like, you know, when like they get Bing Crosby out to sing "Hey Jude," sure, you know, it was, <laughs> sure. it was just so wrong. Yeah. It was just like. Stop it! Yeah. Just stop! Just Sinatra, don't sing, <laughs> don't sing "Cuckoo Cuckoo," Mrs. Robinson. Right. We don't need that in our. No one needs that. Yeah. We have the people who do that, and we have the people who do this. So that was a big, that's a big part, and also by setting it in the past, mm-hmm. in the '60s, for me was a joy in terms of writing because it was, and I think what Doug and I feel of being the, of the age we are that there was a type of show business that we grew up with that was very gentlemanly, Mm. that it was very kind. It was very warm hearted. And, uh, and we've lost that. And, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing, but there's, there was something, but there was something, you know, when the the entertainment would wear a tuxedo and saying my next number, ladies and gentlemen, Mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, we're grownups. This is a grown up show. Mm hmm. Um, and that this is a grown-up type of entertainment, and I and I miss that, and I I miss the 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 you know the the, the Jackie Gleason shows when I was a kid. How you know kind of now I realize you know the June Taylor dancers were camp with a capital K. Oh sure, but but at the time it was oh oh we're above them. Oh, it's so <laughs> elegant because <laughs> we didn't know who Busby Berkeley was, so we thought no, we right. innovative. We didn't know. We didn't yeah. know. 
we would discover pot later in college, and we would and figure it finally all out. understand Busby Berkeley. What, Esther, <laughs> what all those Esther Williams jokes were about, right? On, uh, on oh, the Smothers Brothers show. Golly. Uh, oh my God. I really have to compliment you guys, though, on the tone you strike in this show because it is such a specific needle to thread of these guys are talented and they're schmaltzy, but they're just not the best because the song, like Doug, for example, you open with the, the, you know, the medley of other people's hits and the song of peace is is all very schmaltzy but very listenable it's very entertaining it's very you know what i mean it, it, it i get that this is a form of entertainment people would think was good they're just kind of schmaltzy at it and i never doubted that these people were it, it's not like you know the 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 cherry sisters or something where you're coming out and going my god these people are absolutely yeah. awful yeah, yeah. It, it is right. a it is a like oh they're just not at that level, I get like the whole Rat Pack is in the other room. Nobody wants to sit yeah, here when the whole exactly. Rat Pack's in the other room. First, but first of all, ten, point, ten points for the Cherry Sisters. Oh, reference. thank you very much. Ten <laughs> points for the Cherry Sisters. May <laughs> West, the state will be suing you later. But the um, but that what did Sondheim say about the Mad Lady? Remember Doug? I just, oh, he he wished it were longer. He he just <laughs> wanted it to go on. Really? And on and on. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it his is. favorite part of it. To earn those blues. Sky's going to come from us. Each love connection mm-hmm. ain't your perfection. Uh huh. Overlook flaws when it's a worthy cause. Instead of hedging, no, no. Begin by pledging your unconditional love. Just give me that unconditional loving. This was a big hit for Mr. Joey Risotto. Fun afternoon delight. Straight on into night. And then morning doving. I think there was a whole other section to it. But we, we, there was. It was much longer. It was longer. And it, because but he never it heard it. They never, they never heard it. But it was, <laughs> and, and, always, and it's always better to leave Sondheim wanting more. Oh, sure. Because um, <laughs> I, I want him sorry and grateful. What happened? There you go. Oh, very nice. Like very nice. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it, it. It. I mean, it's. It's the. To me, it's the most brilliant opening. And I didn't really do it. He did. Doug did it. But it's the most brilliant opening of show to just have everybody. Like, oh, that's. Oh no, I don't know that. But that. Oh no, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. You. You admit that. Um, listen, there was an attitude when that when that I love in musical comedy. Whether it be Rogers and Hart or Frank Lesser or uh, Strauss and, and and Lee Adams, uh, it, there was something really smart and really intelligent about a musical comedy, an American musical comedy that it just assumed you were keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. They're just like we're going, we're moving here. You know, you know what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about and it just and over the years it became you know as, as a pandering in my opinion musicals have become very pandering and i don't i'm when i see it in other shows i get uncomfortable and i feel like oh you think we're stupid mm. oh no i don't like you <laughs> and i really i really i loved your poster now i'm here and i don't and i right. really did talk down to and i i just love it when when we assume that you're going to get who these things are and even if you don't if one person in the audience laughs i'm happy <laughs> even, even if it's me even right if even if it's you that's right 
No, I mean, I do want to. Go ahead, there's, Doug. There's one thing you said, Patrick, though, that was um, that definitely resonated because you said, "Why aren't they more?" famous you know because right. they're very talented and when you hear people like santino and debbie gravitt i mean you just go wow those voices are amazing but the thing is when you think about it a medley of other people's hits they mm-hmm. have not staked out their identity yet sure they're doing other people's material so they're never going to be able to uh, excel to that next level and when they sing a song of peace they aren't invested in it they are singing things that later resonate because they learn that these lyrics, it's a song of peace, it's a song of why not, it's a song about offering your hand, taking a stand no matter what. They're reciting these lyrics, but they don't actually believe in them. And then when they later become these accidental activists, Mm -hmm. um, they suddenly adopt a whole new philosophy. And that is when they get in touch with who they really are. And I think that's why they become... I think, so. I think they do become stars after this. Um, and I think that, as, as somebody said, well, if this really, like, trying to be, you know, because after the, the performance we've done in Princess said, like, but if this really happened, wouldn't we all know about it? <laughs> that was, and, I said, and I just said, no, because we're all Americans and it's history, so we've just completely oh. forgotten it. Oh, good answer. Good. Wow. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and I, wish, I wish I could find a way to put it in the And I wish we could put it in the show somehow. Maybe I will yet. Not oh so my fast. Gosh. <laughs> but it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's a, listen, it, it was a, it was a, it, one, it is one of the great unexpected joys of my life is to get back to the show. And we did it for, we came up with the idea and then we did it at the, uh, I'm on the board of directors at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And we did it with a cast of 20. I would say maybe two had done a musical before. Oh, wow. Yeah, just about. Maybe three. And there was no, and no one had knew, really knew this world at all. And we would come in every day and they would have assignments of how to, who, who, someone was mentioned in the show and then have to read to us and explain who the people were. Then they all started swapping YouTube clips with each other, getting into this world. And they were excellent. And the show worked. And you just felt the show really, and they all got the style of it, um, which is just sort of a intense earnestness mm-hmm. that was so endearing. And it was a it was a joyful, Doug, joyful experience. Doug did a brilliant job. He really did. I I, I have to say that that production, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, stands out as one of the greatest things I've ever been part of. Wow! Um, I really mean it. I oh, I thought you just it. said that. I thought you just said that because it was your birthday. That one, the one model. <laughs> well, it was my it was my birthday during the Zitz Probe or the Lager birth- Probe. You're right. You're right. But that that was a very special birthday. But it was also a very special production and. Um, I think it also is very meaningful when you see younger people inhabiting yeah. these roles and getting it and mm-hmm. really, you know, investing and, and giving us kind of their take on what this yeah. world is. And it's it's kind of better than I would have envisioned. Yeah, yeah it was it was very it was very moving. My, my favorite at the at the end of the of the, the show, uh, one of the one of the, one of the young eighteen I think it was nineteen year old guy came up to me and said. <laughs> This show has been the best experience. I'm now following Bitsy Gator on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and I and, that's said, how I, know. And, I, and I looked at him and I said, my work is done. Yes, right. Go with peace. And I left. <laughs> it was a mixture of, it was when I left, it was a mixture of Betty Davis and the Cornish Green. 
Mm. And a little bit of Mary Poppins when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Musicals tomorrow, Mr. Bean. Yes, musicals tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I've done. <laughs> but it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience. And because of that, Mike Rosenberg, who at the, uh, the McCarter, mm-hmm. who was always a big fan of the show, um, came and was putting together these concerts at the uh, McCarter with the, in connection with the uh, Princeton Symphony mm-hmm. and the McCarter, put together a pop series that you've got these full orchestrations. Can you do a concert a version of it? And that's how it all came together. Very quickly, too. A lot of fun, frantic phone calls to guests. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did because you got it in almost just under the wire before everything well, kind of closed that's down. that's the irony. Yeah. The irony is that I was uh, aware that it was January 31st, and I kept saying to Doug, like, couldn't you have made this a spring attraction? Because I knew that we were going to have this bad winter, you know, the right. Thomas Almanac projected right. that this was going to be a terrible winter. And I kept looking at my phone every other hour, seeing what is it snow, is it sleet? You know, I just was convinced we were going to have some kind of storm. And it was actually a beautiful night. And nothing went wrong. And it was a great concert. And, and then, of course, everything a month went later, wrong. you couldn't right. do it. It's good to laugh at Russians oh, again, sure. isn't it? <laughs> well, they're a humorless people, so they're a great, it's a great source of. We can they're really. Kind of like, they're kind of like the Muppets in that a funny line said by a frog is hilarious. Yes, but a funny. If you've got a Russian accent, it's, yes. we had a Russian um, accent coach come in, mm. a wonderful gal come in and work with the actors, and the actors were a little like, "Oh, please, a Russian accent." And then when they found out that the Russian way of pronouncing Edie was Itzy, mm-hmm. they were like in love with her. Because yeah. they knew that she was going to be a source of gold for them. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, gymnasium, gymnasium is gymnasium. gymnasium yeah. She's like, forget it, I'm in. <laughs> it was so great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. so wonderful. Same here, Patrick. Thank you for bringing this up, though. This is lovely. There's no place like a big time. It's the chance of a lifetime. Maybe husband and a wife. Who knows fate can turn on a dime? Oh, God, turn on a dime.